Welcome to the second episode of Corrective Lens. This is Sid McGregor, your host. And today we're talking to Sally Severino. Uh, she spent 17 years in academic psychiatry at New York Hospital Cornell Medical Center. Uh, and since then, she's been the professor and an ex- executive vice chair in the Department of Psychiatry uh, at the University of New Mexico, where she currently lives in Rio Rancho, New Mexico. And so Sally and I first had a conversation a year ago where she explained to me why Donald Trump is the exact president that America needed right now. And with everything going on in the world right now, I wanted to pick that conversation back up and bring it to corrective lens through this idea of how can we change our perspective not just on him, but on all of the, all, everything happening in the world right now. And this is just one really, really powerful, very deep, get ready to think. Uh, we're going to dive right into this. So Sally, welcome to Corrective Lens. Uh, thank you again for taking the time to have this conversation and for uh, just enlightening us on 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 this new sort of uh, perspective, uh, you and I had this conversation a year ago, where 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 you basically said, you know, hey Trump, I don't like him, can't stand him, but he is actually the right president for this time. And then you talked about this law of of three. Can you expand on that for me? Well, essentially, when Trump was elected president, I was flabbergasted. And uh, it said, it raised a big question mark for me. How could this be? And uh, in reading, I ran across a couple of authors who talked about an ancient law of three, which says that any new creation is undergirded by three things. First of all, a force that's pushing toward change. Second, a force that's pushing against change. And third, a force that holds the two together until a change can occur. Well, this, this, this fascinated me because as I looked at Donald Trump's election, I saw that, you know, our world was moving towards a new consciousness and that the forces that were pushing us towards this change, in other words, the first force, could be seen in things like ecology, where a change in one environment affects all environments. Or it could be seen in economics and communications where we're becoming like a single global network. So these are the forces I saw that were pushing us toward change, towards this kind of oneness of consciousness. Then there were forces pushing against change. So these were things like the poor getting poorer while the rich are getting richer. Or global warning, where nature is protesting our human dominion. And then there's this third force, Donald Trump. Donald Trump is there to provide an opportunity for us to address what is preventing change. It's like he's up there mirroring for us what 
uh, psychoanalyst Carl Jung called the collective unconscious. He's there showing us what we shouldn't be doing. He's saying, look, people, see what I'm doing. Stop it. Let's change. And so he's the perfect person to do this. I mean, he's there doing his job trying to get the world to wake up, or at least the United States to wake up, but I think it's worldwide too. And uh, the more we can become aware of these unconscious, unseen forces, the less uh, powerful they are. So this, this was what I was drawn to in terms of understanding what was going on because it was kind of a hopeful vision. That, that, that good could come out of this. And good, I mean, it, it has to come out of this. Like we, at some point, you have to adopt a hopeful mindset. Otherwise, I think you just go crazy because like you have to assume that there, like there has to be a reason for all of this pain. Like there has to be a reason for it. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, it's pulling us towards unity, just like you said. And I don't think, um, in in terms of of your lifetime, certainly not mine. It's too short, but I don't think there's ever been a time in recent history where where the world was it, it, where it was so obvious that we were all connected in such a deep way you know one one little virus starts in one corner of the world and immediately affects everybody well i would totally agree with you um i'd like to step back just one step because donald trump was elected and this pandemic is happening in 2020 but in 2019 i had another wake-up call that i think fits into this on a rather personal level because you know most of us are little people in this world we're not going to influence the big picture but we can have a part in what's going on and this is what i went through um october 1st of 2019 i woke up in terrible abdominal pain and uh was admitted to in an emergency admission to hospital for a partial bowel obstruction. Now, what ensued was a 10-day hospitalization. Unheard of in these days. You're in and out in two or three days, but I was there 10 days, seven days of which I had a nasal gastric tube, in other words, a tube inserted through my nose into my stomach to prevent vomiting and also to prevent eating. So I was on a seven-day fast trying to get my bowel to open up. Fortunately, they were able to cut the adhesions and didn't have to take out any of my bowel. And three days later, I was discharged. But the suffering that I went through and the suffering that we are going through in the world now, this is what I want to focus on. Because there was both physical suffering. I mean, I was hungry. I'm a person that can't go one day on a fast, let alone seven. (laughs) I was in pain pain from this tube because every time I swallowed, it would rub against my, the inside of my nose and and causing uh, it. Well, anyway, it was painful. But there was also this kind of 
psychological, spiritual uh, pain because by seven days, I didn't know if I was going to live through this. So here I was faced with a choice. I could either do what I usually do, and that is fight everything, or I could suffer. Now, what does suffering mean? It meant for me that during this whole process, I was in relationship with the will of the universe. I had no control over anything. Whatever was going to be, was going to be, whether I lived or whether I died. So if I surrendered, then I and the universe were co-creators, co-creative partners in what, this, what was going on. And I think this is a challenge that all of us are being asked. How are we going to live through these days of suffering? And are we going to be partners with each other and around the world and with the universe? Or are we going to fight? So I think it's a wonderful challenge, and I think we each can contribute. And that reminds me of something you said before where, you know, it, it really all comes down to, you know, personal responsibility. Like you as an individual, you have to choose to, to, to have that unifying mindset. You know, I can't make somebody else do it and I can't expect them to do it and I can't cause them to do it. I have to just choose it for myself. They have to choose it for myself. So then sort of, I guess the question is, how do you see us right now? Are we, are what, like what phase are we in? Are, are we in the unifying phase? Are we in the fighting phase? Or are we, or do we not know yet? All of the above, because people are in different, all, uh, people, we're in different phases. And as I said, I, I, you know, I think your question is, is so appropriate because we're, we're in different phases and we need to honor those different phases. We don't have to agree with them, but we need to honor everybody's phase and where they're at and, and their viewpoint and to consider it and see how it impacts our viewpoint. And well, we just honor each other. But how, how do we honor each other? How do we get to that place? I really see that we're trying to move from, and I'll use this, this word has been coined by somebody else. We're trying to move from a me world to a we world. And these two are, are, are very different in, in, and the same. Uh, in interesting ways, uh, both a me world and a we world have human relationships. But in a me world, the relationships are either I it or I thou. They are non-reciprocal being relationships. In other words, differences are established as subject to object. You know, this is my team, that's your team. We're not on the same team. There's a line that divides us. But in a we world, it's I-I relationships, reciprocal beings, where we are enhancing each other, subject to subject. We're looking not at each other, but both of us looking in the same direction. Now, both of these worlds also have unity in it, but... In a me world, it's achieved by being imposed from without. Whereas in a we world, 
it's it comes from inside and we each have to freely choose it it's a very different kind of 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 unity and our identities are different because in a me world our identity is i am i i'm not you i'm separate but in a we world there's mutual affirmation and giving of ourselves to enhance one another. Now, aren't those two different, two different worlds? Yeah, I, those are very different worlds. And I, I think we see those different worlds play out and collide in front of us every day. From some perspectives, it would seem impossible for us to achieve that. I mean, can we really achieve that? You know, we're built as human beings to do this. The whole first half of our life, I, I like to think of the right and left brains as two different computer systems. And the whole first half of our life, we're using our left brains to establish our separate identities. We have to do this. And it's very important because, you, you know, this is, this is, what lets us be who we are. It allows us to read, to think objectively, to think critically, but it doesn't see the full picture. It doesn't see oneness. And and the second half of life allows us to choose to learn to run the computer in our right brain. The right brain sees things holistically from oneness. So we can achieve it, but we have to choose it. That's right. And you see, that's where this whole business of the we world coming from the inside, you have to freely choose to get into this. And it's a very subtle, different way of seeing. I, I like the example of um, a, not one and not two, but one and two. So, for example, uh, a wave and the ocean. Really, uh, there, there's a wave and there's an ocean. But the wave is also part of the ocean. So, depending on whether you're seeing it as separate or as one, there are very subtle, very subtle differences. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good picture. I'll remember that one. So uh, what you're saying is we we can achieve this harmony, if you will, this oneness, this unity with each other. Like we're actually designed for it, but we have to choose it, which to me means like we have to learn it, right? Uh, so so how do we how do we learn that? How do we transition from me to we? Like what I mean, what do we do? Well, again, um, the, the, the method that I know uh, best for uh, achieving this thinking in oneness is really uh, some sort of meditative practice. You know, the Hindus have yoga, Islam has Sufism, Judaism has Kabbalah, Christianity has contemplative prayer. But all of these methods which train us to live in the present that uh, rather than the past or the future that 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 train us to um, 
empty the mind and just be in the moment. Those are are practices that 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 uh, help us use the right brain. And uh, the all of the people that I've ever read, well, it used to be we used to think that it was only the saints that ever got into these states. But now we realize that all people really are capable of this. But it, it does take a lot of practice and a lot of discipline. And um, I think it's our daily living, um, as you pointed out, and, and noticing the different way people see things and letting that raise questions in our minds together with some practice that uh, teaches us to live in the present moment instead of in the past or the future where most of our minds are most of the time. Um, those are the two ways working together that over a lifetime, because it really is a lifetime to achieve something like that, um, we can move in that direction. And I think more and more people are turning to these meditative practices. And that makes total sense. I mean, it's not something that you do, you know, we're not going to go, you know, uh, do yoga for a week or or meditative prayer for a week and then like suddenly have this mindset. I mean, this is this is what what you're describing is a lifestyle. It's a it's a daily regiment of of being one, of choosing one. Which makes it just makes sense. It has to be a lifestyle. It has to be an everyday. What? So what? I mean, what does this oneness feel like? There's a person that I very much admire, <clears throat> Bernadette Roberts, who has written a book about it. It's called The Experience of No Self. She explains that it's impossible to describe the experience of no self. You, you you have to experience it. You can't understand it with your mind. And, of course, that's what a meditative practice is. It's trying to get out of the mind into the experience of the present. And um, she said it's like you're in a continuous waking state um, where you're sensitive, responsive, totally unimpaired. Nothing is missing. And each moment contains within itself the appropriate action without you having to think about it, feel it, will it, give energy to it. You're, you're, you're there as a doer. She calls it doing. Uh, I would call it loving because I think that's our core essence. But anyway, she says it, it, it's not easy to get used to doing without doer. But she points out that our bodies function that way all the time. I mean, nobody tells our heart to beat. Nobody tells our liver to function. But our bodies do these things without anyone thinking about it or telling us to do it. And that's getting into that kind of, 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 of being, I think, is what we're being called to do and that if we can live in that kind of a state uh, we really uh, respond to each other 
I think, at our most basic level, which is, I think, a loving level. A loving level. That sounds, that sounds nice right about now. It really does. Uh, Sally, thank you for your time. Um, I, I really appreciate your, your perspective and your, your positive just energy uh, towards what could easily, easily be seen as really dark and really negative times. And it's really helpful to see that, that, these, that these elements are here as a reflection of, of us and, and as something that is pushing us towards unity, pushing us towards peace, pushing us towards oneness. So, so Sally, thank you again. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Interestingly enough, if you listen to the first episode of this podcast, it was called The God Lens. The takeaway from that was that it's possible that one perspective is that this pandemic that's happening now, and even since then, now we have many other things happening. Uh, That's a whole different podcast, but what all the things that are going on in the world right now is God shouting at us to come back to him. That was the first episode. That was the first lens. And here we have almost almost the same takeaway where we can see this pandemic, we can see Trump as merely forces that are pushing us towards unity or that are reflecting the, 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 the things which we should not be doing and helping us see what we should be doing. Uh, you know, I, I think one thing is, is for sure, like it's not up to anyone other than you and me to wake ourselves up from this slumber and heed the call of the universe, of, of, of God, of whatever, of the forces, however you see that. It's up to us to choose to see life through the lens of unity, equality, and peace, where we daily act out in the spirit of Ubuntu, of I am because we are. That's my corrective lens for the day. Stay safe. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time.